you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 is where we're going to be hanging out in our Bible study time today. If you haven't already, pull your notes out of your bulletin. Throw those in your Bible. Grab a pen so that you can take notes or fire up your Journey Church International app so you can follow along. For those of you who are joining us on live right now through our web stream, thank you so much for hanging out with us. You know, if you really enjoyed the snow this weekend... You're welcome. Um, If you didn't enjoy the snow, I'm sorry. You say, Christian, why do you say it that way? We had so many people at our church last week that we had people at our 930 service giving up their seats, walking out because families were coming in and we didn't have enough room for everyone. So we had people who just stood out in the lobby and watched on the TVs because there wasn't room for everyone. And before our 11 o'clock service, we had cars lined up 15 cars deep on 150 highway at a standstill waiting to get into our parking lot. So we prayed this week, Lord, help us figure out a way not to turn people away anymore. And as it snowed all day yesterday, I thought, you know, this isn't really what I meant um, by that. But I think it will work. So for those of you who are hanging out at home today, um, you're welcome for that prayer and a church service in your pajamas. We're in a series called Goals this year uh, at Journeys. We start the year, we want to start with one big goal that we have for you. We want you to discover God's purpose for your life this year and to live it for the remainder of your life. Last week, we asked you to maybe think up one word that would describe your goal for your spiritual life this year. We had, uh, we had words flooding in to our social media sites and emails all month long. People who said their words, their goals this year were to be fruitful. Their words were to be willing or courageous. Their word was to be disciplined or to have heart. Their word was grace or stronger or audacious. Their word was surrender or focus. Their word for the year was listen or determine. Their word for the year was to be strengthened or to multiply. Their word this year was to be restored or to make progress. Their word this year was life or driven or change. And we've got hundreds more. We want to know what your word is. If you haven't already, please email that to us or as you post it on social media, hashtag us JCI one word 19. We would love to know what your spiritual direction is this year. But what we want more for you is for you to know God's purpose for your life. That's why we are in this series. That's why we are in Hebrews chapter 10 today. It's going to be the point of every message this month trying to help you discover God's purpose for your life. Before we dig into Hebrews chapter 10, would you just bow your heads and would you ask that God would use this text to speak to your heart? Would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven, whether you're here or watching online? Would you whisper from your heart to heaven and would you ask God to speak to you? Would you tell them, tell him that you are listening? When God's word is studied by God's people, God's spirit uses it to change lives. That's what we want today. God, speak to our hearts. We're listening. Use your word for your people to change our spirits. That's our prayer today, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19 and go through verse 25. Here's what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence... To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, as we press in this year to discover God's purpose for our lives, we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 10. And this text gives us three thoughts to consider that everyone should be aware of spiritually before we then figure out how we can press those thoughts into our life. Thought number one, we need to understand this. Jesus gives you everything you need to approach God. Jesus gives you everything that you need to approach God. That was the whole topic of last week's message. As a matter of fact, we said this last week. If we want to discover God's purpose for our lives, we have to discover God's person for our lives. And his name is Jesus. Discovering God's purpose begins with discovering God's person. And his name is Jesus. The the first step of discovering God's purpose for our life is making some strong intentional commitments to press in to Jesus. It's what we talked about And in verses 19 through 23, I don't know if you realized it, but we talked all about Jesus. He is the great priest in the house of God that connects us to God. But to really understand the picture of Jesus in Hebrews 10, you have to understand Old Testament worship through temple language. That will help you see what Jesus does. Because as the author of the letter of Hebrews wrote this letter and the people read this letter, what they would have seen was a picture of the temple that was still standing when this letter was written. When we look at Solomon's Old Testament temple, we see pictures of Jesus all over. Go to the picture, guys, if you have that back there. We see the basins that were for cleansing. Jesus cleanses us from sin we just read. We see the altar of sacrifice. We read that Jesus was sacrificed for our sin. And then we go inside the temple. Go to the next picture, guys, if you would. And we see the menorahs, the lampstands. And we hear Jesus say, he is the light of the world. We see the table of showbread. And we remember Jesus saying that he is the bread of life. We see the altar of incense which was for prayer. And we remember Jesus saying, make sure you pray in my name now. We see this veil that would have covered the holy of holies that Hebrews 10 says was Jesus' body. And it was torn so that we could have access to the Ark of the Covenant. The top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. It was where you would find mercy to connect with God. Jesus is everything in the temple. Jesus does the ministry of everything in the temple. And the author of Hebrews wants us to know that it's only through Jesus that we can approach God. That's what all of last week's message was about, how to connect to Jesus, 10 ways to connect to Jesus in 2019. If you didn't listen to it, please go back and listen to it. This week's podcast is Pastor Brandon and I on the Activate podcast discussing last week's message and talking practically how we do those 10 things. How do we connect to God every day? How do we pray intentionally every day? Who are you praying for and why? How do you listen to worship music in the morning? We just talk very practically about how that happens in our lives. So I encourage you, if you want to press into Jesus, go listen to last week's message. If you already heard it, go listen to this week's podcast because Hebrews 10 tells us Jesus needs, gives us everything that we need to approach God. Last week was all about Jesus. But thought number two is this, living for God demands community. I hate to say it's more than Jesus, but it's certainly not Jesus and nothing else. Living for God demands community. Look at verse 24. The author of Hebrews in the first few verses says, Jesus gives us everything we need to approach God. But then he says, if you want to live for God and love like God, you have to, verses, verse 24 of Hebrews 10, he says this, you have to consider how you might spur one another on towards love and towards good deeds. Let's think about, the author of Hebrews is saying, how to love like Jesus and live like Jesus, not just use Jesus to approach God. If your heart this morning is saying, hey, I want to be close to God, you will need Jesus for that. 
But if your heart is saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to live for the purpose that God has created me to live. I want to have impact. I want God to use me. If you say, I want to be close to God, you'll need Jesus for that. But if you want to look like Jesus, live like Jesus, have impact for Jesus, you will need spiritual community for that. As a matter of fact, the New Testament model of Christian, Christianity on mission always includes partnership or group life. When we read in the New Testament what Christianity looks like and we find Christians living on spiritual mission, that picture always includes partnership and group life, starting with the person who would not have needed an accountability partner or a small group. His name was Jesus, but he had the disciples. And when he sent the disciples out, he never sent the disciples out alone. He always sent them out two by two with at least a partner. When we read the Apostle Paul traveling the world to start the global movement known as Christianity, we see Paul and Barnabas, and we see Paul and Silas. Then we see Paul and Timothy. Then we see Paul and Titus. Go read the end of any letter that Paul wrote, and you see all of his friends. You see the small group that helped him with what he's doing in life. We learn in Scripture that living for God demands community. You never see anyone in the New Testament not not living in spiritual community. You say, what about the introverts? Either there were no introverts in the New Testament or they cared so much about the mission of God they kind of pushed through that to live in community. We never see anyone in the New Testament not living in community spiritually, but even with this reality we learn in Hebrews chapter 10, some people have opted out of spiritual community as their way of life, quote unquote. Some people have opted out of spiritual community as their way of life. It's just not how they live their life. Look at Hebrews 10.25 if you have your Bibles open. It says this, Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Thought number three, some people, even though it's necessary, have opted out of spiritual community as their way of life. If you have Hebrews 10.25 opened, I want you to circle the word habit in verse 25. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because this is a really interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word ethos or ethos. It literally in Greek culture meant everything. This Greek word meant the guiding belief or ideal that drives someone. The ethos was the center of someone's character. It was the center of their heart. It was the center of their being. And here's what the author of Hebrews said. There are some people who don't live in spiritual community because the driving thought of their spiritual DNA, the driving ethos of their life, at least according to their actions, is this. They don't need anybody. The author of Hebrews said there are some people in the New Testament community church who according to the way they live their life, their ethos, their character that drives them must say this, they don't need anyone to help them spiritually. They can do it all alone. Some people have opted out of spiritual community as their way of life. But scripture tells us that living outside of spiritual community is is three things. A, it's dangerous. Living outside a spiritual community is is dangerous. This is what Solomon, the son of David, who became king of Israel after killing a giant named Goliath said. He said in kind of his deathbed diary, what we have as the book of Ecclesiastes in our Old Testament. He said, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity anyone who falls and doesn't have 
anyone to help them up. People going through life alone, it's dangerous spiritually because not if they fall, when they fall, they don't have anyone to help them up. Pity, he says, anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not falling. And I don't think I'm going to fall. My faith walk is pretty strong. Well, living outside a spiritual community is dangerous, but it can also, in a sense, letter B, be selfish. Because Hebrews 10 doesn't say you just live in spiritual community for you. Hebrews 10.24 doesn't say get in spiritual community will make you stronger. It doesn't say get in spiritual community, you need it. As a matter of fact, the focus of Hebrews 10.24 and the purpose of spiritual community isn't even what it'll do for you in verse 24. It says this, let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us think about how we can help other people look like Jesus. That's what he's saying in Hebrews 10.24. Hey, let's, here's why spiritual community is important. Because we have to think about how we might help other people look like Jesus. So when we say, oh, that's, that's not for me, what we are saying is, I don't really care about helping other people look like Jesus. When it comes to spiritual community, according to Hebrews 10, 24, the phrase, I don't have time, has to be followed by this phrase, to help anybody spiritually. Because that's what you're saying once you understand how important spiritual community is, not just for you, but for everyone else in the church. When you say, I don't have time for that, what you're saying, according to Hebrews 10, 24, is I don't have time to think about what anyone else needs spiritually. I don't have time to help anyone else be like Jesus. It's not really a part of my life right now. So in a sense, not living in spiritual community, having an ethos... I don't need anybody. I don't need a small group. I'm not going to be in a small group. I'm not going to go to a Bible study. I'm not going to serve. In a sense, that's saying I don't have time for that because nobody else is important to me but me, according to Hebrews 10.24. And when we don't live in spiritual community, letter C says it can lead to discouragement. That's why verse 25 says get in community because you're going to need to encourage each other. Hey, life's going to be hard. You're going to have a tough week at work. You're going to have a hard week of marriage. You're going to have a hard week of parenting. You're going to need someone to encourage you from time to time. So make sure you don't have an ethos that says, I don't need anyone, because you do need people. Or you're going to live a very discouraged life. The spiritual facts of spiritual community are are very basic. Number one, you are stronger when you live in spiritual community. I mean, the facts of spiritual community are really basic. You're stronger when you live in spiritual community. Number two, somebody else is stronger when you live in spiritual community. Number three, the kingdom of God is stronger when you live in spiritual community. And number four, anyone who really desires to pursue Jesus and live in God's purpose for their lives will choose spiritual community. Now, if we look at those first three one more time, let's back up that screen one more time, guys. Let me ask you, you don't have to verbally answer yes or no. But as we try to discover God's purpose for our life this year, wouldn't we say this is what we're aiming at? Don't we want to be stronger spiritually? I think most of us say, yes, of course we do. Don't we hope other people in our lives are stronger spiritually? I think all of us would say, yes, we hope that. Don't we want in our community the kingdom of God to be stronger? I think all of us would say, yes, of course I do, which means we have to go to number four, And figure out what choice we're going to make. If we truly desire to pursue Jesus. If we want to be stronger. If we want other people to be stronger. If we want the kingdom of God and our community to be stronger. Then we have to choose spiritual community. Even when it's not convenient. Even when it might not feel safe. Because it went really badly at the last church that we went to. 
even when there's not a whole lot of time, even if we're introverts. If we want to be stronger, if we want other people to be stronger, if we want the kingdom of God to be stronger, we just choose to engage in spiritual community. If your goal this year is to discover God's purpose for your life, you have to choose spiritual community. You say, how do I do that? That's where our 19 commitments to consider in 2019 come back in. Last week's were all about Jesus. Consider these commitments to press close to Jesus. You I want to be close to God. You have to find Jesus. But if you say, I want to live for God, you have to find community. According to Hebrews 10, that's how it happens. So let me give you part two now of this message. Commitments number 11 through 19 that you might consider as you try to discover God's purpose for your life. You know how to find Jesus. Now how do you find purpose? Consider living in community. Consider these things. Number 11, find an accountability partner or an accountability group this year. Find one person in your life or two people in your life who every week can connect to make sure that you are pursuing Jesus the way you committed to pursue Jesus. Ecclesiastes, back now in this great book, says it this way in the full context of community. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they're going to keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So all of our ministry staff this year are in a group of three, an accountability group. And we meet on the first Wednesday of every month. We've exchanged spiritual goals to say, hold me accountable. We had our first one this Wednesday where we said, how are you doing in your Bible reading? How are you doing in your prayer time? How are you doing in your finances? How are you doing in your family time? How are you doing in your workout time and in your eating time? All the goals you set, we've exchanged, and we're all now in a group of three. And once a month, we get together and say, how are you doing? That will make us better. Who's your two or three? I want to challenge you, if you're already in a small group, I want to challenge you to maybe ask the person you might be closest to in that small group, hey, could we, outside of small group once a month, get together, set some spiritual goals, and hold each other accountable? Could we once a week kind of connect and hold each other accountable on our spiritual goals and see, what would you give yourself this week, an A, B, C, D, or an F on the spiritual goals that you've set? Find an accountability partner or an accountability group this year. Consider doing that if you want to discover God's purpose for your life. Secondly, number 12. Start a Bible study or a prayer time at work that meets once a week. Who knows whether or not God puts you at the job that you work at or in the neighborhood that you live in or on the cul-de-sac that you're a part of. Who knows if God didn't put you there because there's one other person who would like one other spiritual person just even know works at their job and they'd like to meet with them once a week for five minutes to just pray about everything going on in their organization. That's what happened with Esther. And in Esther 4.14, her uncle reminded her, listen, who knows that you've come to your position for such a time as this? Who knows that God didn't put you right where you are because he wants to use you there? You know, many of us have this person in our past who wore their faith on the sleeve, who was the one to rally the troops, who was the one that everyone could talk to spiritually. And here's the deal. Some of you haven't seen that roommate, that lunch lady, that neighbor, that coworker for years, but every time you think about them, you see their faith. What if that were you? 
What if you just found a couple other Christians that went to a couple other churches and said, hey, what if every week on Thursday morning we met 30 minutes before work and just figured out how we could pray for each other in the break room or even outside in the parking lot, and then we would pray and go. Do you think that would make you a better Christian at work? I believe it would, and I believe it could make you stronger in discovering God's purpose for your life. Consider that this year. Consider number 13, getting involved in a small group if you don't have one. Please don't say after hearing what you've heard this morning, I don't have time for that because you know what comes after that phrase. I don't have time to help anybody else spiritually, so I don't want to be in a small group. Consider getting involved in a small group. Acts chapter 2, in explaining the birth of the early church, said this in verses 42 and 46. The new Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Here's the reality. There is a generation of people who've been involved in church their entire lives, but they've never gone to the home of someone who goes to church with them and had a meal and talked about Jesus. That's the spiritual reality of an entire generation of people, but it wasn't the New Testament generation. Because we don't see in the New Testament people showing up on Sunday, going home, and never developing community within that crowd that they worshipped with. On Sunday, if you were a Christian in the time of Jesus, you would have 100% been involved in a small group. If you were a Christian in the New Testament, there is a 100% chance you would have had a small group that met outside of church. If you've ever wondered, could I have been a Christian in the days of Jesus in the early church... Only if you would have been committed to going to someone's house and sharing faith life together. Consider that this year. Number 14, consider getting engaged in a serve group on Sundays. This might be your quickest way to community at Journey Church International. Get engaged in a serve group on Sundays. 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, the the word gift and grace there are the same Greek word. They're both the word charis or what we would say charity. Peter is telling people God has given you a gift so you can share that gift with others and you do that by serving them. You say, I've been coming here a long time. I've never really served at this church. You can this week email Pastor Ryan Holt. He's our connections pastor. His primary role at our church is to help people who come on Sunday connect to community at our church through serve groups and helping them get connected to small groups. And here's what you need to know. The primary goal of our Sunday serve groups is community, not service. You know why we want people to serve on Sunday? So they'll talk to somebody else. You know who came in this morning, said good morning, had a conversation, gave someone a hug, knows somebody's name, everyone who's serving. You know who probably didn't? People who just walk in, sit down, listen to the worship, sing a few songs, listen to the message, and then leave. It's not that one of those experiences is bad and one's good. One's good, one's better. One's good, one's better. Because you get community along with church service. So I would encourage you, if you haven't started serving yet, take that step. You say, Christian, what percentage of Christians in the local church, according to the New Testament, are supposed to use their gifts to serve? I'll ask you that. What percentage of Christians in the New Testament church are supposed to use their gifts to serve? Anybody? 100%. All of them. You say, are we a New Testament church? Not according to that statistic. Because in the New Testament church, every person would figure out what gift they had, and they would use it to serve everyone else. And I want to desperately be a New Testament church. So consider getting engaged in serve groups this year. Consider number 15. 
serving our community during a quarterly serve day. Again, these are all chances to not just discover God's purpose for your life, but to impact others through your spiritual life. But they all provide community in kind of the undercurrent of them. James 2, 15 through 17 says this. It sounds like kind of the anthem of a lot of Christians. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but they don't do anything about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. We, we see here that James, the little brother of Jesus, said it's not enough to just be aware of knowing that you're supposed to help. Help. What good is it to say, our church really cares about people in need? And then you say, who? And you say, I don't know, someone in our church. No, you. James says it's not enough to care about people in need. You have to help people in need. So every quarter we have serve days. Our next one is February 2nd where we take a Saturday morning and we go serve a community partner. You can contact Sherry Hennig who's the director of our community outreach ministry. She is working so that by the time we get to February 2nd, if you want to help in our community but you can't serve on February 2nd, she's working with all of our community partners so you can go serve them on your time, not our time. You won't even need a serve day. You'll just need us to connect you to them so any free time you have, you can go help and serve in our community. I would encourage you to do it for the first time with our church. Why? Because you're going to meet someone, and if you meet someone, you'll live in community, and if you live in community, you have a chance to grow spiritually. So I want to challenge you. Consider this year serving in our community. Consider, if you really want to develop some spiritual community, consider 16 going on a missions trip this year with a group from JCI. I mean, if you really want to get to know some people at our church, lock yourself in a room in a foreign country with them for 8 to 10 days, and I promise you, you will know some people. You might not like some people, but you will know some people by the time you get home because you really, you discover the real person inside the person when you have to watch them walk through TSA and sit on an airplane and sit in an airport. You really get to know who people are. So I want to challenge you this year. Two times we'll go to Guatemala this year to serve in the village we've adopted in July and in November. In January of next year, a trip that'll be prepared this year, we'll go to Israel together and we'll go visit our missions partners in Israel and we'll see all the sites of the Holy Land. I want to challenge, I want to encourage you to consider maybe 28, 2019 or 2020 is the year where you go on a missions trip with our church. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. It's the role of a Christian. You want to discover God's purpose for your life? Go on a mission trip. That's why this Thursday I'll preach in the Dominican Republic to a few thousand teenagers over there about who Jesus is. Because God said go. And when a family watching this in the Dominican Republic every week says, would you come to our church and preach to our people? Because we've been watching you online. So if, you, if, if, if we'll help you, will you come? We say, yes, we'll come. Let's go. So you can pray for us because next Saturday... If this week wasn't enough, there are 6 to 10 inches of snow forecasted, except it's supposed to be 5 degrees instead of 30 degrees. So I may be in the Dominican for a week. I'm not sure yet if I'll be able to get home, but I'm going to go. Jesus doesn't say whether or not we'll come back. He just says go. So we're going to go. Hopefully I'll be here next weekend with you, but I want to challenge you. Consider going on a mission trip this year with a group from our church. I want to challenge you, number seven, to consider this. Consider or make an effort to be in church as many Sundays as possible in 2019. Man, if you're here today, as a matter of fact, you rarely are at an early service at a church where people don't have this commitment or you wouldn't have an early service at a church. 
So when you're speaking to an 8 a.m. crowd with a foot of snow on the ground, you can like just cross this one off. Done. Like most of you have done this. So I am preaching to the choir here. But Exodus 20 verses 8 through 10 says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. What is Moses telling the people there? Give one day a week to God. Give one day of your week to God. Not one hour of your week. Give one day of your week to God. Make one day different than all the rest. Have a different priority on one day than all the rest. I want to challenge you. Give your Sunday to God as much as you possibly can in 2019. I promise you'll be closer to discovering God's will for your life if you're in church as many Sundays as you can possibly be this year than if you just kind of came every now and then. And I want you to consider number 18. This is for parents with kids my age. I want you to consider this year skipping something important to come to church on a Sunday in 2019. Let me tell you why I want you to do that. I I want you to challenge skipping something important to come to church on a Sunday in 2019. Here's why I say that. I talk to parents with kids my age all the time, and I ask them this. Kids involved in dance, kids involved in swimming, kids involved in gymnastics, kids involved in sports. And I say, how many Sundays a year do you think your kids miss for their activities? And it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. A dozen to 20. It's a lot. And then I always say this. How many games did they miss for church this year? How many swim meets did they miss for church this year? How many, how many dance recitals did they miss for church this year? And the answer is always the same. None. None. And, and here's what I say to them. Listen, if you're not teaching them at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old that church is more important than something, then church will never be more important than anything. Because I promise you, whatever they're doing as adults, whatever jobs they have, Whatever travel they have to do, whatever the activity, everything they do as an adult is more important than the sport they're playing at 11. Would we all agree? They're like everything in the adult world is more important than sixth grade baseball. Do, Do we all agree that? So if we teach them that sixth grade baseball is never something you can miss church for, or never something you, yeah, that that church is something you would never miss a baseball game for, how would anything in their life ever be something? they would ever miss to go to church. Like how could church ever be important if it's not more important than fourth grade swimming? If it's not more important than seventh grade gymnastics? I'm not saying quit the sport. I'm saying one time this year, just one time, tell your kids, listen, we're not gonna play on this Sunday. And we're gonna tell your coach, church is really important to us. We miss too much. And we need our kids to understand church is more important than church. So we're gonna, we're gonna miss a game this day. Now the reality with four services, you hardly ever have to miss a day. You get there late. You know, you have to leave early, but with an 8 and a 9.30 and an 11 and a 5, you rarely should have to miss. But just one time this year, tell the the coach, tell the teacher, tell the boss no and come to church because it'll build in your kids that every now and then I have to make a decision of whether to do something that's important or more important. Just one time, consider that this year. Why? 1 John 2 says this, don't love the world or anything in the world. Because the world and its desires are going to pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Everything we ever do in place of church is going to go away. But what we do with God, who we experience God to be, that lasts forever. Think about it. Consider it this year, one time in 2019. And then number 19, part of community is giving. So I want to challenge you, 19, to consider start giving this year financially. Or re-engage in giving financially. 
or move from giving to tithing this year, which means giving 10% of your income in 2019, because we live for each other, I want to challenge you to consider this year giving. Become generous. 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19 says this. Paul said, Timothy, teach people in church this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And teach them to do good. Teach them to help others. Teach them to give. Because eternity's coming, and we want that eternity to be filled with all the treasures that were sent forward every time someone gave in church. I had a text message from one of my friends who's a pastor Last Sunday as I left church and he said, Christian, I want you to praise God with me. This isn't something we've announced publicly, but I had to tell someone. He said, there was a businessman in our church who gave $2 million last week. Like just in the offering, like, you know, like the ushers are counting the checks. They're 20, 250, $2 million. That's a big one to be like just dropped in the, in the blue bucket. We've never had one of those. If you would like to, feel free. Um, so he said, we, we searched this guy down and we're like, man, what's the story? And he was a businessman, and he said, I sold my business for $20 million. And I was going to invest it all in a new business, but God said, no, 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 no. Listen, I I want you to have $18 million, but I gave you 20 so that you could show that you trust me and you're thankful for what I gave you. I wanted you to have $18 million, but I gave you 20 not to invest in the new thing, but I gave you two extra so you could show that you trusted me and you were grateful for what I did. So he said, I wanted to put that in. And he said, I was so blessed by being able to give. I feel like I want to give two more. He gave four to this church. They're like not in a building campaign or anything. He's just a guy who goes to their church who God's blessing him. A lot of you are thinking, man, if I had $20 million, I'd give two. No, you wouldn't. Not if you don't give 10 off 100. No, you wouldn't. It's the same amount. Not if you don't give 100 off 1,000. No, you wouldn't. It's the same amount. Not if you don't give 1,000 off 10,000. Not if you don't give 10 off 100. It's the same amount. It's... It's a percentage that God says, whenever I want you to have something, I'm going to give you you 90% of that plus an extra portion. That extra is to see if you trust me with what I've given you and if you're thankful for what I've given you. So I want to challenge you this year. Consider giving. Consider re-engaging in giving. Most people in a church that don't give are people who used to give but stopped for some reason. Start again. And if you're giving a little bit, consider 10%. Consider 10%. Consider thinking everything I've had, God wants me to have 90, and he wants 10, so he can see if I trust him and I'm thankful for him. Consider doing that this year. By the way, 19 spiritual commitments in 2019. Let me give you one final thought on these 19 commitments. If you choose the battleground, if you choose the one that you're going to try to commit to this year, I guarantee you Satan will show up to fight you there. Like if you will choose the battleground, in committing to anything, you are saying, this is where I'm going to do spiritual battle. And Satan says, all right, meet you there. Someone in here is going to commit to tithe. And you know what? In the next 30 days, you're going to blow a tire on your car and you're going to need $200 that you didn't have. It's just the way it happens every time. You're going to commit today to tithe and you're going to go home and a tree limb is like going to have fallen through your house. You're going to be like, not now. It's just the way it happens. You're You're going to commit to being an accountability group. And then the friend that you're planning on asking to be in your accountability group is going to get transferred and they're going to move. It's just the way it works. Whatever spiritual commitment you make, you're going to commit to listen to Christian radio and the radio station you listen to is going to go out of business. It's going to become hard rock. I mean, like whatever spiritual commitment you make, trust me, Satan's going to show up to fight you there. 
He's going he's gonna to put, put on the boxing glove. When you say, here's where I'm going to do battle, Satan says, all right. He's going to show up to meet you there. So you've got to persevere. You've got to fight through. You've got to take the first shot. Let your commitments be 40-day commitments, 90-day commitments, one-year commitments, not one-time commitments, because the one-time commitments are going to feel a strong spiritual counterpunch. As a matter of fact, Scripture says this in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against all the coincidental things that happen in life. It's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You will pick the place you want to grow. Satan will bring the fight. But it is worth the fight. And you can win. You can win because you have the armor of God. You can win because you have the spirit of almighty God. You can win because you have the perseverance and because you have the community that says we'll help you. You say, I want to be close to God. You'll need Jesus for that. You want to say, I want to live for God. You'll need community for that. And if you will choose to try it, I believe God will bless it and you will grow like crazy in 2019. Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father?